0: Greetings to you in the sanctuary, those in the gym, and those live streaming from home. We're thankful that we're all together this morning. Just a few announcements for us before we get started this morning. First of all, next Sunday is a big Sunday for us because we resume Sunday Bible study groups on Sunday mornings. You may call them Sunday school. We restore, resume those groups next week. We've been waiting a while. These got paused months ago because of COVID. and. We are so excited to get to reopen it. That is the full program. That includes our kids' classes of everything from birth through sixth grade. They do the gospel project for kids. So they're going to jump back in with the life of Jesus and going through the gospels and picking back up where we left off so they don't miss anything in their three-year journey through scripture. So the kids start back with that. Our youth will be gathering with Pastor CJ, and they'll be setting Psalm 23, going deep into that psalm with CJ and his team of volunteer teachers in there with him, and they'll be doing that. And then we have three different great adult classes available for you. We have a study on the gospel and race relations and how the gospel changes how race relations work and how we should view that. We have a class on 1st Corinthians going very deep verse by verse into 1st Corinthians and then we're gonna have a study that's finishing up with the green letters. and just a devotional of how we walk with Christ. So those are available for the adults. So something for the whole family 9 a.m. next Sunday morning in the gym building and so I hope you guys can come early and get back into small groups in the community and have those chances to pray together and to be able to go deeper in fellowship with one another. Speaking of time together, this afternoon we have a prayer opportunity for you. Four o'clock right here in the sanctuary. This is something that Mike Mertz, our chairman of deacons, and Parker Harris, one of our leaders of our young adult life group, have been burdened to do, is to find ways to get us as a church family to pray together more. So we're gonna be gathering every other Sunday afternoon at four o'clock here in the sanctuary just for an hour, just of corporate prayer together and reading scripture together. And So we'll do that again today at four o'clock in here and Hope you guys will be back for that. Then next Sunday, every Sunday morning at 8 a.m., there's a small group prayer gathering. So if you're ready to get up even earlier next Sunday, I hope you'll come at 8 a.m. in room one. There's a chance to do small group prayer before we go into our Bible study classes. Now, I want to introduce you some more new members. So Hamlet family, you guys come on up here real quick. So we got to introduce some new members to you last week. We got some more today, and we have some more next week. So we're excited that God continues to bring new people into the life of Gateway. So we'll to introduce see to a new family in the life of our church here. This is the Hamlet family. They are a military family. So they're here for a year, but this is Kenny and Amanda. And then there is um, Kennedy and Benjamin down there. And so and they also have a daughter who's away in college and not here in Montgomery with them. But he's out of Maxwell for a year. And they just really value being shepherded and having a place to serve. So he came in and said we're here for a year but we want to join and we want to be part of a church community and covenant together. And so I had a great time getting to here their stories, and we also had a big adventure this weekend. As you, some of you know, we had our Gateway men's backpacking trip, and yes, we did it in the middle of Hurricane Delta. And so Kenny and Benjamin went with us, and we survived backpacking in a hurricane, so we can check that off our bucket list now. And those guys did great joining us on that, but it's just fun to see them plug in and jump into Life of Community to come to Montgomery and jump in. I think their first week here. And then just to plug in the life of the church. And so let's give a round of applause and welcome the Hamlet family to Gateway. Thanks, guys. Glad to have you guys here. And you got a year with them here, so I hope you guys will get to know them and hear their story. Their testimonies are powerful of God's grace and how God has been transforming them and changing them and what he's done in their family life. And I just, I'd love for you guys to get a chance to welcome them and get to know them while they're here in Montgomery. For this year, well, I want to read a scripture for us. As we turn our hearts, Lord. Can I ask you to stand, please, as I read God's word for us. As we prepare to sing His praises this morning, Psalm number thirty-six for us this morning. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast, you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God? The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and your light do we see light. As we get to rejoice this morning, remember that every blessing we have has come from the Lord. He is the fountain of life for us. In his light, we see the light, and we get to delight in that. Let's sing of the Lord in all that we have because he's done for us.
1: Your face is always with Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. It's stronger than darkness, new every Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. It's This picturesque- is let
2: singing of your glorious grace. Lord, it is so glorious. Lord, and we most clearly see your glorious grace in the face of Christ. Lord, as we were just studying in our Sunday school class this morning, there will be a day at the revelation of Jesus Christ, the unveiling of our Lord, the unveiling of our Savior as we have never seen before as we eagerly wait for that day. Lord, but for this day, you've given us to praise you, to worship you, to stand before you in awe and wonder. Lord, I thank you for this group of uh, our praise team, singers, the instruments, Lord, that are all being played and sung for your glory. And as we stand out together in agreement, we just want it to be clear that we worship our creator God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we give you all the glory today. We say thank you. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being able to bring, Lord, our request to you. Lord, we want to start off praying for Luke Bray, a little precious Luke that we've been praying for. Lord, I ask that you would continue to heal him, Lord, with his pneumonia now. Lord, and you would give Stephen and Hillary Lord, the grace they need and the wisdom they need lord to love him and parent him and just to walk through this it's been a long journey with him lord that you just do a healing work in their lives lord, we thank you for seth and megan and their hearts lord their hearts that have been beating for lord the neighborhood that they live in for capitol heights area for that junior high that they have been ministering to and that they have invited us in and brought us along as a church and we now minister into that junior high and we pray for that the principal harrison lord as, as uh, school continues lord and that we continue to minister there and just pray lord that you would do your work there lord that they could see the love of christ and how we love them lord we pray for highland avenue baptist church in our city and keith henson is the interim pastor there lord Every local body of yours, Lord, is precious in your sight. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen him as, as the chief shepherd right now, the under shepherd for that church. Lord, would you bring the people there that need to be there? Lord, would you do your work in that place and encourage them, we pray? Lord, we continue to pray as hurricanes sweep across our land that you would help the people that were just recently in the path, the path of Hurricane Delta. Lord, the people that have lost their homes. That are struggling right now god i pray your church would rise up lord, with compassion and service to them And lord the privilege that we have to pray for a different group each week around the world today we pray for the unreached people group of the garani a muslim group who live in villages near kosovo lord, we just ask that you would raise up men and women missionaries who would bring the gospel to that place lord to speak their language Lord, we thank you that your gospel is still as powerful today as it was in the day of Christ. Lord, we pray that you would give them biblical resources uh, in the Serbian language. Lord, we thank you for how you have always been faithful to provide for this church. Lord, to the tithes of your people, the offerings of your people. Lord, I pray you would continue to have us to be faithful, Lord, to give uh, to this church, Lord, where you're doing your work. Lord, where you are at work, and we can see that, and we just say thank you. Lord, we pray today for Grady as he comes to continue to share on the biblical qualifications for elders. Lord, I just thank you for his heart for teaching, his heart to study your word diligently, Lord, his heart to to lead in a way that honors you. I pray your blessing on he and Julia and their family, and I pray today as he comes, Lord, he would sense your power, the power that enables him. Power that opens your word to his eyes each week that gives us all understanding, your Holy Spirit. So where we pray today you would also enable our ears and our hearts and our eyes to, to receive your word and that we'd never be the same. We just bless your name, Lord. We are so in love with you, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name.
0: Well, good morning again, Gateway family. It is great to see you this morning. Thankful we get to study God's word together. Like I mentioned last week, we are pausing our study of James for just for two weeks. We look at an important issue in the life of the church, and that's the selection of our elders, our overseers, our pastoral leadership team here at Gateway. Just to remind you what I mentioned last week, we are a congregational church. That means the members have the responsibility of identifying the men that God is calling out to serve as elders. Now, to help equip us as a church to do that, we paused James and we've been looking at two key scripture passages on this important issue. Now, last week we looked at 1 Peter chapter 5. That was the responsibility of elders. And you saw in 1 Peter chapter 5 last week the elders are called by God to shepherd God's people. Following God's own example of how he shepherds, how he cares for his people, elders are called to be under-shepherds who shepherd the people in a particular local church. And we saw last week they do that by knowing the people, by teaching the people, By leading the people and by protecting the people, particularly from sin and temptation. They're to do so with eagerness and with joy. And friends, that's very foundational. If you were out of town last week and not able to be here, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that one. That's so foundational to what our understanding is of what we're doing in the elder election process. This week, though, I want you to find 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, because not only, like we saw last week, does God tell us how elders are to function, He also tells us who the elders are should be. And so that's our text for this morning is the who the elder should be, the qualifications to be an elder. And friends, this is so important because God is going to hold us accountable on whether or not we put qualified men in this office. Now don't miss that. We will give an account before God. I mean, last week we focused on the elders will give an account before God of whether or not they were faithful to their calling. But we also see that we as a church are going to be held accountable before God. Did we put in men into this office who are eligible, who are qualified by God's standards? Because if you look across the landscape of churches in North America today, we see church after church electing unqualified people to be leaders of churches. They elect people because they're popular or because they're an influential business person, because they're wealthy or whatever else. But God's standards are very different than the world's standards. And we will give an account before the Lord as a people of Gateway one day of whether or not we've selected leaders who meet God's qualifications, not the world Now, with all that in view, we're going to come to 1 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. We're going to look at seven verses. I know that is not our norm here, but we're going to attempt seven verses this morning and looking at these qualifications for elders in the life of the church. And as we do so, I want you to be looking for what are the qualifications? What does God say is required to be an elder of a local church? So could I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. The words will also be on the screen for you. The saying is trustworthy. For someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert. He may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for your word, and God, we're so thankful that even when it comes to the church and how the church is supposed to operate, you haven't left us wondering and having to come up to our own devices. God, you've laid out for us how you want your church structured and who is to be the leaders and who is to serve in different ways. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that you would take your word and you'd you'd use it to help us understand your plan for Gateway, that you'd use this to help us select the men that you're already calling out to serve as elders in this church. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So, us being in 1 Timothy now this morning, instead of in James, I want to give you a little context of what we're reading so it kind of makes sense in the broader spectrum of things. So, turn back a page to 1 Timothy, excuse me, chapter 1, just so you can see what we're looking at here. This is a letter written by Paul to a young man named Timothy. So, 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Verse 2. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus. Our Lord. So Paul is writing a letter to this young man named Timothy. Now, Timothy was in the town of Ephesus. Now, if you think back to more than a year ago when we did our long study through the book of Ephesians, the book that was written by Paul to the church in Ephesus, Timothy is in that, in that church now, in the church in Ephesus. This is now being written to him by Paul some years later, probably around 65 A.D. Because the issues had arisen in the local church in Ephesus, and Paul needed Timothy to address them. So he writes him a very practical letter to help him understand what to do with the church in Ephesus that Paul loved so much. As so, this letter has become very practical to understand how the gospel changes our churches, how the gospel is to shape how we do church life together. And one part of that's what we come to this morning, back in chapter three, the qualifications for leaders. Because Paul spends a long section here talking about who the elders of the church are to be. And then after this, he spends a long section on who the deacons of the church are. Are to be, and we'll come back to that text beginning of next year when we look at electing deacons in the life of our church. But today, our focus is on verses one to seven the qualifications of the elders. Now, there's a lot in those seven verses. I know you're only used to standing for a minute while will read one verse, and we read seven this morning. But in these seven verses, Paul lays out 15 qualifications to be an elder in the local church 15 things that he says must be necessary. And of these 15, 10 of them, 10 of them you might call must haves. These are the things that, are, that have to be present in a person's life to be eligible to be an elder in a local church. Their lives should be marked by these things. And the then gives five must not have qualifications. Five things that should be free from a man's life if he's going to be serving as an elder. Fifteen total qualifications in these seven verses. And we're going to look briefly at each one of them. But first I want to see the big picture of how all this fits together. So here's the main idea of 1 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. And it's simply this, to serve as an elder... A man must pursue faithfulness to God in all areas of his life and ministry. If a man is going to be an elder of a local church, he needs to be pursuing faithfulness to God, pursuing doing what God said in all aspects of his life and his ministry. A lot of times when we think of leadership in organizations or in churches, we're focusing on the guy's skill set and his qualifications to be able to do his job. But as we're going to see in this text this morning, the much greater emphasis is all areas of his life, his personal life in this. And so this is what God requires of the leaders of his churches, whether it's a church in Ephesus where Timothy was or for Gateway Today is to have men in leadership who seek to faithfully follow God in their personal lives and in how they do the ministry of lives and in how they of shepherding. Now let me just say at the outset what we're going to see in these 15 things, these are qualifications to serve. These are not suggestions. These are not, well, we're going to let these men to this office with the hope that they maybe become this. This is the prerequisite, if you want to use the college term for it, to be able to serve. It's also the standard by which elders are to be held accountable as they continue to serve. To serve as an elder, a man must pursue faithfulness to God in all areas of his life and his ministry. So we'll see how Paul frames this before we jump into the qualifications. Go back to verse 1 as he kind of sets the stage what he's going to tell us here. So is saying is trustworthy. This is is important here, and it's true what he's saying. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Remember at the outset I said last week, overseer, elder, pastor, or all different terms for the same office in the local church. A church is to have two groups that lead it, elders and deacons. The elders are sometimes called elders, sometimes they're called overseers, sometimes they're called pastors, but it's all one in the same office. So whoever desires... To be an elder, an overseer, a pastor, in a local church, he desires a noble task. This word noble literally means beautiful. That whoever wants to be an elder is desiring a beautiful thing. Because it's a good thing, it's a beautiful thing to want to care for God's people on God's behalf. It's a beautiful thing to want to care for precious brothers and sisters in Christ. And to get to know them, and to teach them, and to lead them, and protect them. And to be, do this with friends you've covenanted to walk alongside together in your local church hence paul says to the men of the church there if anyone aspires to this if anyone sets his heart to if anyone is eager to do this he desires a beautiful thing and i pray there's some of you here today who have felt the stirring of the lord and the calling of the lord to be elders here at gateway that god is stirring your heart to where you're finding an eagerness to want to get to help shepherd the people of god here because i can tell you friends there is such joy and getting to do that, yes, there's a lot of work, but being an elder is such a joy because it's a beautiful thing to get to love and come alongside the people of God in the church. Yet, we saw last week what a beautiful task that was and what that task looked like. But today, Paul's focus here for us is on who can pursue this, who can be an elder in the church. And it has to be someone who pursues faithfulness to God in their lives. Look at verse 2. Therefore, an overseer must be, again, this is a requirement, must be, notice this first phrase, above reproach. This is a summary of all the other 14 qualifications that follow. An elder has to be above reproach. It means he has to have integrity. He has to have character. The word I'm choosing this morning is he has to have faithfulness, all kind of meaning the same thing. He has to be above reproach. He has to be pursuing faithfulness in his life. Now, let's be clear here. Being above reproach and pursuing faithfulness, that's not the same thing as perfection. If God's standard is perfection. You're going to have no leaders here at the church, including me. There will be none of us here because none of us are able to perfectly follow God. We are all sinners saved by grace. We all still battle with sin every day and we still need god's forgiveness and grace day by day so this when he says being above reproach this is not perfection but this is the heart of a man who wants to pursue god who is serious about pursuing god's grace to walk in faith a man who's serious about wanting god to sanctify him and grow him into these things a man who's serious about striving for these things by god's grace and his life is becoming marked by this because the holy spirit within him is changing him and growing him it doesn't mean he never fails it does mean that he's quick to repent and quick to confess his sin because the Holy Spirit of God within him is making him above reproach, giving him this longing to pursue faithfulness in all of his life. So what does it look like to pursue faithfulness to God in all areas of our life? Well, again, there's 15 different examples here for us of that. I'm breaking them down into two big categories because my type A brain needs sublist and list upon list, okay? So the two big categories here are personal life and ministry. A man is to pursue faithfulness to God in his personal life and in his ministry. So let's start with what it looks like to pursue faithfulness to God in one's personal life. This is character qualities. And again, I mentioned this earlier. Of the 15 qualifications listed, 13 have nothing to do with one's skill set or gifting for ministry. Let that sink in. If you look at how churches look for pastors and elders, usually it's a long job list of he needs to be a good speaker and has these skill sets. It's all about skills. God's focus on the character of the man more so than the skill set of the man. 13 of the 15 qualifications to be an elder, pastor, overseer of a church are have nothing to do with his skill set. It has all to do with his heart and his character and his life. A man can have amazing gifts for ministry, amazing talents to lead, but if his personal life is not in order by the grace of God, it'll wreck him, it'll wreck his family, and it'll wreck the church that he is called to lead. So God sets the bar really high for the character requirements elders. So of these 13 characteristics in one's personal life. What is Paul talking about? Well, again, my type A brain wants to break that down. These 13 can be summarized in four big categories. So if you want to break it down, if your brain works like mine here, this big list of 13 personal qualities fall into four big categories. His family, his self-control, his relationships, and his finances. And if that's helpful for you, you may just like to see all 15 in a row, but for me, it helps to kind of boil them down. These, these 13 things here are about his family about his self-control, about his relationships, and about his finance. In other words, it's a picture of his whole life. If you're dealing with family life, relationship with others, self-control issues, and finances, you pretty much covered a picture of a person's entire life here. So let's look at those and let you see these 13 qualifications under those four headings. First of all, his family life. Now, before we dig into family life, one thing we need to mention right here. I keep talking about men who are qualified to serve as elders, in Scripture, the office of elder is limited to men. Now, I know that's not popular in our culture today. I know that's not trendy. I know that cuts against the grain of our culture. But our faithfulness has to be to Scripture, not to what the broader culture tells us. If you look back up a few verses at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, Paul has set this out for us. Just in a few verses before this section said, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Quiet here in the sense of not being allowed to teach the adult men Of the church now to do justice to that I know we need an entire sermon and maybe that will come one day but for this morning's focus of this just need to simply point out that is the qualifications for being an elder it begins with being a man that does not diminish women's gifting that does not diminish women's calling to serve women are gifted by God to serve in ministry women are gifted by God to teach in other settings women are gifted by God to serve in so many ways and we want to affirm that and empower the women of the church to follow God's call. On their life. But when it comes to the office of elder, to teaching and having authority in the life of the church, God has set that apart for the men. Not because the men are smarter, they're not. Not because the men are better, we're not. Not because the men are somehow better leaders, they're not. This is simply, in God's providence the way he's chosen to order for the local church to function. Now, this is about the local church. This is not about the broader culture. It's not a verse we pull out. This verse has been abused and used to, to business settings, and that's not what it's about. This is simply about the local church. In the local church, the office of elders, the teaching offices of the church, in the adult settings is restricted to men. And we have to trust the providence of God that his ways are good and right. So with that said, again, that's a deeper sermon for a whole other day, but... With that set, the men of the church who need to be elders, it has to start with, first of all, their family life. The qualifications involved, their family life, and it starts with his marriage. Look at verse 2 here where it lays out, Therefore an overseer must be above reproach. Now notice the very first qualification that follows that, the husband of one wife. The husband of one wife. Now there's a phrase here, this could probably be a whole sermon in and of itself also this morning. You probably hear me say that a lot today. But then this phrase has been debated, it has been misunderstood, it's been abused in so many settings. People often get hung up on the wrong thing with this verse, the husband of one wife. They start asking things, well, can a single man serve? What about a man who's widowed? He's not married anymore. Could a divorced man serve? And that's not the focus of this particular verse. The focus here is his character. If the man is married, is he faithful to his wife? What is his character in his marriage? Literally, this phrase means a one woman man. So if you want a more literal rendering of what this phrase is, he's needs to be above reproach, he needs to be a one woman man. And that means there's no other women in his life in terms of that intimate relationship. That means he's not sexually unfaithful to his wife. There's no adultery. There's no affairs going on. That means he's not flirting with other women. That means he's not emotionally bonding with someone other than his wife. And friends, in our culture, that also means he's not looking at pornography, because that is adultery in different ways Jesus teaches about lust. This is a man who's a one-woman man whose eyes and affections are for his wife and his wife alone. He's the husband of one wife, a one-woman man. He's by God's grace staying faithful to his wedding vows. There's a second requirement related to his family as well. That's not just his his marriage, but if he has children, the second requirement has to do with his parenting. Look down at verse number four here as we jump around to let you see these big categories. Verse four, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. So the second qualification related to family has to do with his parenting. It says he has to manage his household well. So the word manage means to lead, to give direction to. So this is the picture of a man who's faithfully leading His whole family, not just his wife, but his kids also. He's not just relegating the spiritual instruction of his kids to his wife. He is involved in leading and giving direction to his family, discipling his children, pointing them to Christ, keeping the gospel the focus of his home. It even says here that he is to keep his children submissive. Now, what in the world does that mean? It doesn't mean he yells at them, because, well, we saw that in Ephesians, there's not to be clamor or yelling, right? That's part of the things that's permitted in our speech there. What it means to keep them submissive is he's a man who disciples. And trains his children in God's word. A man who holds up God's standards and holds his children to God's standards. That the standard he holds them to is not his preferences, but what God's word says. He helps them see sin for sin. and holds up the mirror to them in a sense so they can see God's standards and where they fall short of it. And then he lovingly disciplines them. Friends, This is sobering because he, basically what he's telling us is if a man does not lead his wife and kids well... The man does not discipline and disciple his wife, or does not discipline and disciple his kids, and does not lead his family well, Then he's not qualified to do that in the life of the church. Now, why are these two requirements so important? We'll look at verse number five, where Paul lays this out for us. It says, for if someone does not know how to manage, remember that means to lead, to give direction to. someone does not know how to lead, manage, give direction to his own household, how will he care for God's church? One whose home life is in disarray, one who's not leading his wife well, one who's not leading his children well. God is saying he's not qualified to lead in the local church because it's even a bigger family. He's saying if you can't do this with a few entrusted to your care under your roof, how will you do that with the greater number entrusted to your care in the household of God? So to be qualified to be an elder, a man has to pursue faithfulness to God in his personal life. The first big category of that is in his Marriage and his parenting and his family life. But the second category, if you want a big category, is in his self control. In his self control, to be an elder, a man needs to have self control in his personal life. There's three of the requirements here that fall under self control. Two of them are in verse 2 here, so go back to verse 2. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Now, here they come sober minded, self control. Now, let's look at these. Sober minded, this means he thinks clearly, he does not make rash decisions, he's not being impulsive. And his thought life. In other words, this is self-control of his thoughts. An elder needs to have self-control of his thought life. He's sober-minded. And what follows is the next quality. He needs to be very directly self-controlled. This is about his outward actions. He's not rash, he's not impulsive, he's not unstable. He has control of what he does and control of what he says by the grace of God, because the Holy Spirit is in him. So he has self-control over his thoughts, self-control over his actions and words, but there's one more that Paul highlights here where he needs self-control. Look at verse 3. He needs to be not a drunkard. In other words, if he consumes alcohol, it does not control him. He's not addicted to alcohol. He has self-control of what he consumes. And I think from that, friends, we can draw some other applications as well, that he has self-control of other things he consumes, whether it's food or entertainment or all the things, that he's a man who exercises self-control of his thoughts, of his words, his actions, and of what he consumes. It's a, it's a picture of a man controlled by the Holy Spirit and in self-control of all aspects of his life. So to be an elder, a man needs to be, faith, be pursuing faithfulness to God and his family and in his self-control. Number three, in his relationship with others. Several of these categories deal with his relationship with others. He needs to be a man who is pursuing the right way to relate to other people. These are all in verse 3, so look back at verse 3 here. We just saw he's not a drunkard. Now what follows? He's not violent. That's the first one. The next one. But gentle. And then the third one. He's not quarrelsome. So he's not violent. Instead he's gentle and he's not quarrelsome. So he's not violent. That means his words and actions both are not words that are quick to fight. Whether it's physical fight or verbally fight. He's not one to run after fights. He's not one who's known for his anger, for his temper. This is someone who does not threaten other people. He's not violent. Instead he's gentle. That means he's kind. He's considerate. He's willing to yield to others. He's willing to defer to others. He has a pattern of speech like we've been studying in James. One who's quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. One who has put off by God's grace clamor and all those things from his life. So he's not violent. He's, he's gentle. And number three, he's not quarrelsome. An elder should be a man who's not known for arguing and always insisting on his own way. So he put those together. What, do you, what is this about his relationship with other people's it needs to be a man who seeks the best interest of others, not himself. This is a person who loves others, who encourages others, who helps others, and who's willing to defer. Someone who builds up people instead of tearing them down. So where we are in this, going through these 13 things of personal life, this is a man who pursues faithfulness to God in his personal life with his wife and kids and his family, with his self-control of his thoughts and his words and his actions and what he consumes, and his relationships. He builds up and does not tear down. But the last big category here, He's got faithfulness to God in his personal life and his finances. Number four is his finances. Look at the very last phrase of verse 3 here. Not a lover of money. Now, friends, this has nothing to do with his bank account. This has nothing to do with whether or not he has money or does not have money. You can be rich and not love money. though That might be hard. He can be rich and use your money for God's kingdom purposes. Likewise, you can be poor and love money. So this is not about the amount of money. This is about the heart attitude to money. This is a picture of a man who's content... But what God has entrusted to him is a picture of a man who wants to be faithful. We use the word stewardship. Wants to steward. Well, what has been entrusted to him, who's trusting in God, not in finances for his future. So to be qualified to be an elder, a man must be faithful to God in his personal life, in his family, his self-control, his relationships and his finances. And when a man by God's grace does that, it becomes very obvious. And several more of the qualifications that follow really are just a summary of all these things being lived out. Look back at verse 2. There's one that I skipped when we went through it. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled. And here it is, respectable. He needs to be respectable. That has to do with his reputation, particularly his reputation in the church. This is a man who, by God's grace, is striving to do these things. He's known in the church for doing these things. That's how people see him, a man who seeks to be faithful to his family. It's a man who's known in the church for shepherding his family well, a man who's known in the church for exercising self control over his thoughts and his words and his actions, a man who's known for building up others and loving others well, a man who's known for walking in faithfulness in his finances. And so it becomes obvious, but not just obvious in the church, because one of the qualifications is, is, is obvious to the broader community. Look down at verse 7, of what Paul says about this. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, meaning by non-believers in the broader community. He must be thought of well by outsiders. Siders This is the reputation with the guys that he sees at the gym, the person who takes his order at the coffee shop, his coworkers, his neighbors, those who are not in Christ but who know him. He's to be well thought of. It literally means he's to have a good testimony with them. He's to have a good testimony as he represents the character of Christ as he does these things by the grace of God friends. This is very countercultural. What we've just seen in these other 13 characteristics is incredibly countercultural in the world. And it becomes a testimony of the gospel and of Christ and of who God is to the lost around him. But there's one more criteria in these 13. It doesn't fit any of my four categories. And so I try my best to figure out where to plug in a not work. So I have to give you one loose one here under the personal category. And that is under verse 6. And look at here in verse 6. Um, he must not be a recent convert. And that would just kind of make sense in light of everything else we've talked about. It's kind of summarizing a lot of sense of all of this. Think about the three big terms we talk about in our faith journey justification, that point in time when you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, and God justifies you. He declares you righteous, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. Sanctification, that's growing in godliness during your life. That's the Holy Spirit working with you, convicting you of sin, and growing you in godliness. And then the third one is glorification that day, either when Christ returns or He calls us home, and we see Him face to face in our struggle with sin is done away with. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Let's focus on this word sanctification. Here's an easy question for you if you've been around Gateway for a while. Is sanctification immediate or is it a process? Which one? Immediate or a process? Yes. Yes, we're declared righteous in God's sight, but in terms of the practical experience, it's a process. That's why we call it progressive sanctification, that hopefully by God's grace, You are more godly than you were a year ago. And hopefully when you get five years from now, you look back and realize how God has grown you more in five years than you are today. It's a progressive process. And so it takes time. Sanctification is a process as God and His Holy Spirit within you grows you in Christ's likeness day by day, month by month, year by year. So that makes sense then why he's saying new converts shouldn't be elders. They need time to be sanctified. If they're a new convert, they're already justified. They're already declared righteous completely because of what Christ has done their glorification is secure, but they need some time to grow in practical holiness and walking in faith in these things that we have seen. And so all this that we've seen so far is simply about one's personal life. This has nothing to do with job skill set. It's all about one's character. To be an elder, a man must pursue faithfulness to God in all areas of his personal life. Now Paul doesn't neglect faithfulness in his ministry, faithfulness in his shepherding responsibility and caring for God's people. And those are the last two requirements in this text of what faithfulness in ministry looks like. Again, let me remind you last week that the calling of an elder, a pastor, an overseer is to shepherd, is to care for the people of God. And just to remind you, I mentioned earlier, there's four things that fall into that. An elder then knows the people. That means he's willing to get in community and live life. With people. An elder then not only knows the people, but he teaches the people. He feeds the people the word of God. An elder then also leads the people, not just in the direction of the church, that's part of it. An elder leads people one on one. He helps them find their spiritual gifts and he helps them grow in godliness and helps them walk this path of sanctification. Then, fourth, an elder cares for God's people by protecting people, by being willing to confront sin and live in community in such a way that we help one another overcome sin. In our lives. Now, to do all of that, Paul summarized all that with two job qualifications. Thirteen about his character, we just saw, but two now about his job qualifications, these skill sets, if you have to be able to be an elder. And that's at the end of verse two. So look back at verse two. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober minded, self controlled, respectable, hospitable, and here they come. Sorry, hospitable and able to teach. Those are the two job requirements, if you will, outside of his character. He has to be hospitable and he has to be able. To teach Now, hospitable. This is both an attitude and an action. Hospitality is an attitude and an action. It's an attitude of being willing to open your life and open your home. It's not just a willingness, it's an intentionality that flows from that. It's an actual opening up of your home and a vulnerability of sharing life with other people. And it makes sense that hospitality be a requirement to be an elder. If an elder is to care for people... We saw last week, that begins with knowing the people. You're not going to know the people if you don't have some level of hospitality where you're sharing your life and even opening your home to bring people in so you can share life with people. Paul not only commands this here, he also models it. Would you see another verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8? This is a prayer for me and a prayer for what Gateway will be like. and It's simply this, so being affectionately desirous of you. And I love that description of how he sees the brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. Being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, also our own what what's he willing to share ourselves this is hospitality opening up ourselves and our lives to other people in the church because you have become very dear to us so an elder has to be a man again this is a prerequisite this is not a suggestion oh hey maybe if we put him as an elder he'll open up his home no this is to be the model the requirement of an elder is a man who practices hospitality of inviting people into his life to walk alongside him the second qualification here back in verse 2 was after being um, hospital, he has to be able to teach. It makes sense that one of the shepherding responsibilities of an elder is to be able to teach people, to feed people. The Word of God is a man who has to be able to teach the Bible. This is the one qualification that distinguishes elders from deacons, primarily in the life of the church. We'll see when we get in January into the deacon requirements. Much is the same in terms of the qualifications to serve. The big difference is this particular one: that the elders have to be able. To teach the Bible. Now, that can take different forms. It doesn't mean that anyone who wants to be an elder or gateway has to be up at the pulpit. Preaching is a form of teaching. But teaching a small group, whether it's a Sunday school or a life group, that is a form of teaching. Counseling people as they're walking through difficult life issues, that is a form of teaching. One on one discipleship, taking someone to the coffee shop, saying, Let's study scripture. Hey, let's walk through this book together. How are you doing in your walk with Christ? All those are different ways that an elder can teach. But an elder has to be able to teach and willing to teach in the life of the church. We saw it last week, but Titus chapter 1, verse 9, there's a, I encourage you to read Titus 1, there's a whole additional list from Paul of qualifications for elders that are very similar to our text today, but he elaborates on this one in particular in a very helpful way for us. He, the potential elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and able to rebuke those who contradict it. That the elder has to be a man who knows the word of God, who delights in studying the word of God, and has to be able to teach it and clearly communicate it so he can give instruction. Whether that's at a Starbucks one-on-one, or in a men's Bible study at Chappie's, or whether it's in a counseling room, or whether it's in a Sunday school class, or a life group, or from the pulpit, he needs to be able to, whatever venue God has come to do, and he needs to be a man who is able to study the word of God and teach it to other people, in whatever setting it is, so that people can be built up and godliness. Let's pull all of that together. To serve as an elder, a man must pursue faithfulness to God—not perfection, but have a heart to pursue God and see God growing him and walking in these areas. He must pursue faithfulness to God in all areas of his life and ministry, and his family, and his self-control, his relationships, and his finances, and being hospitable and able to teach. That raises three quick questions for us this morning. I want to wrap up with this morning. Number one: Is it possible to have these type of men in the church? Is this even possible? I know this is a high standard. Number two, why is this so important? And then three, what do we do, gateway? So is it possible? Why is it so important? And then what do we do with all this? Number one, is it possible? Was it possible white-knuckle determination and sheer effort? Absolutely not. These 15 things we've seen that are qualifications to be an elder, the bar is incredibly high. So by sheer effort, by self-determination, this is not possible. But with the Holy Spirit within a person growing him, this is possible by the grace of God don't you see galatians chapter 5 verse 22 and 23 we look at this often but it's such a key text in scripture This is about the fruit of the spirit it's a description for us of what our lives are like when the holy spirit controls us if you're in christ you already have the holy spirit within you You get the holy spirit when you're justified but this is talking about the fullness of the holy spirit when the holy spirit is taking control and changing you and transforming you and growing you the fruit of that if you look at an orange tree if you're driving down to disney you see an orange tree on the side of the road you know it's an orange tree because it has oranges The fruit here is the imagery of what happens when the inside changes by God, what it produces on the outside. So, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, a life controlled by the Holy Spirit, looks like this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And then, verse 23, gentleness, self control. Now, do you notice the similarities between that? And we just saw in 1 Timothy 3, the qualifications for an elder. There's so much overlap. Self control is a fruit of the Spirit, self control is a qualification for being an elder love is through the spirit love is kind of a way to summarize so much what we saw in terms of what an elders to be like and how he relates to other people goodness gentleness all these things that we've seen that elders are required to be is ultimately a life that is controlled by the holy spirit it's the fruit of the holy spirit so basically the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 here are the picture force of a man who is filled with the holy spirit and being transformed by the grace of God because the holy spirit is filling him and changing him it's a picture of a man who's being changed by the Holy Spirit and who wants to help others, point others to find that same grace so they can be transformed as well. Again, friends, so we're not looking for men who we hope start doing this. We're looking for the men here who are already running down that path of sanctification because God's Holy Spirit is in them and are eager to bring other people down that path with them. So it is possible with the Holy Spirit. this. Number two, why is this so important? Why is this so important? I mentioned at the beginning, so many churches use a different standard than this ...and selecting their church leaders, and we've seen the devastation that can cause in churches all across our country... ...and around the world when people choose leaders not based on God's standards. So why is this so important? Two reasons. Number one, I'm going to give you a practical reason. Number two, I'm going to give you a reason from this text. The practical reason why this is so important is quite simply this. As go the leaders, so goes the church. As go the leaders, so goes the church. Friends, if we want to be a church that that glorifies God by holding up the sufficiency of Scripture then we have to have elders who hold up the sufficiency of Scripture. If we want to be a church that's committed to prayer, then we'd have elders who are committed to prayer. If we want to be a church that's known for its community and loving people and walking alongside people, then the elders have to be men who love people and walk in community. If we want to be a church that's serious about pursuing holiness, then the elders have to be men who pursue holiness. If we want to be a church that glorifies God by making Christ known, then the elders need to have a burden to make Christ known. As go the leaders, so goes the church. That's the practical reason this is so important. But there's a second reason as well why this is so important. Our text alludes to this today. There's a very real enemy who opposes the church. There's a very real enemy, Satan himself, who opposes the church. Satan wants to destroy the church so it does not glorify God. He wants to destroy the church so it doesn't hold up the sufficiency of Scripture, so it does not have community, so it does not pursue holiness, so it does does not commit to prayer, so it does not make Christ known. Satan hates the church because he hates God. And he knows, as goes the leaders, so go the church. So Satan is very quick to start attacking the church by attacking her leaders. Because Satan knows if he can bring down the leaders, he can bring down the church. Look at verses 6 and 7 of our text. Notice the the phrases in here about falling into his traps. Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert. He may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Verse 7, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Satan sets snares and traps in all of our lives to try to get us to fall. And Satan especially is going to set snares and traps in the lives of the elders and the deacons in the church to do all he can to destroy them, because if he can destroy them, he can harm the church and destroy it as well. So it's imperative to have elders who know how to resist the enemy, elders who know how to resist Satan's schemes, not only so they can walk in holiness and not fall into his traps, but so they can help others not fall into his traps as well. So is this possible to have men like this in church? Absolutely. And you know many of them already at Gateway who are walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and are living this out, not by self-effort, but by God's grace. It is possible, and you know many of these men here. But second of all, why is it so important? Because that sets the direction of the whole church, and there's a very real enemy who hates you, hates Gateway, and hates these men, and is going to do all he can to destroy them so he can destroy all of us. Number three, what do we do now, Gateway? In light of all this, what do we do now? i mentioned at the beginning we're a congregational church that means we have entrusted you the congregation the members of gateway with the authority to not just approve the budget every year but to select the leaders of the church to identify the men already at gateway who are called by god to be elders the men who are already here who love to do what we saw last week to identify the the men called by god who love to know people who love to teach people, who love to lead people, and who love to protect people. And the men who not only love to do that, but who are qualified, who meet these qualifications because they are pursuing seriously God in their life and in their ministry. And like that, friends, between now and October 25th, two weeks from today, we're entering a period we call elder nomination process, where you have to be a member of Gateway to do this. This is for our community that's covenanted together. But if you're a member of Gateway, as you leave Campus Day, I want you to pick up an elder nomination ballot. If you're worshiping from home, don't worry, we'll email it to all the members tomorrow. But there's elder nomination ballots on the table in the back by the door. If you go out that way, there's a music stand over on that back corner with them on there. If you're headed out to the office hallway, there's one right across from the restrooms. If you're in the gym building worshiping with us, there's a music stand by the gym door just inside, across from the restrooms in the lobby where you can pick those up. Before you leave today, if you're a member, please, 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 Take one of these elder nomination ballots. Now, we don't want them back today. I'll be very upset, in a kind way, right, if you give me one back today, because this is something we need to be praying about. You're not, we're not giving these to you today so you can turn them back in today, but so you have two weeks to be prayerful over this and to pray about this. We're trying to seek God's face and seek God's will for Gateway Baptist Church. And so we're asking you and the members to nominate the men who you believe are called by God to help shepherd this body in the years to come the men who are qualified, as we've seen laid out in, in 1 Timothy 3, and the men who we saw from 1 Peter 5 who love to care for God's people. So if you'll find those as you leave today, and if you're worshiping worship your home, we will email that to all the members today. And again, take time over these next two weeks and reread these texts in 1 Peter 5 and 1 Timothy 3. Pray earnestly for God to make clear to us his will for the who the leaders of Gateway are to be. And then as you Begin to sense God's direction for you. You look at these qualifications. You look at First Peter 5 and say, these are the men we see at Gateway who are able to do this and lead us well. Put those names down on the form. Put your name on the form, and you can return it to the office. You can give it to a staff member. You can mail it in if you trust the postal service mail, or you can go ahead and bring it back next time you're on campus, Anytime over the next two weeks. But the nominations are simply the first step as we, as we seek the shepherds, the elders, the lay pastors here, and we'll walk you through the rest of the process. After we get nominations in, We'll report back to you who the men are who have met the minimum requirements to be nominated. They will have to go through ordination councils where we review their theology and where we go more deeply into their personal lives on that. And then we'll present to you before Thanksgiving the men who have felt called by God to do this and who have responded and been through their ordination councils and have passed their ordination councils. And then you as a church will have two weeks to review them and meet with them and talk to them. And then our elections will be on December 13th. That's a lot, but we'll walk you through the process. The focus for today is think on these scriptures, think about this church body, and who are the men as you prayerfully seek it? Who are the men God has already put within Gateway that he's called and equipped and who is meet these qualifications to help lead us in the years to come? And friends, I'm confident that God who loves us so is going to guide us and lead us through this process. He is going to already be identifying and raising up the men he wants to serve, and he's going to do all this for his glory and for the good of us as a church body and for us individually. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for your word. Lord, I'm so thankful, Lord, as one of the elders here at Gateway to not have to wonder what the church is to be structured like. It's beautiful to realize that you have laid out for us your plan for how elders are to function, your plan for how we're to shepherd, your plan for even who is to be on an elder team of a church. Lord, thank you that this is not a mystery to us, but God, you have made it so clear in your word. Lord, we're so thankful that you're a God who's not a God of confusion, but a God of clarity. And Lord, I pray as we go forward in these days to come, as we read these scriptures and think about them deeply, as we pray and just ask for you to direct our steps, and as we look over all the men in the church who are eligible to be considered for elders. God, I pray you make your will very clear for us. And we know that you love the people of Gateway so deeply, more than any of us do. And Lord, your desire is to have elders who will shepherd all of us well in the years to come, because we all need shepherding. Even the elders need to be shepherded. We all need one another so much in this. Lord, would you make your will very clear for us as a church and who you're calling and who you're raising up that we would be faithful to hear from you, Lord. We know we'll give an account for you one day of whether or not we've put into place qualified men. So would you give much, much grace to us over these next two weeks. God, would you guide us and superintend this whole process, Lord, that this local church might be all that you desire for us to be a place to where you are glorified because you're at work in our midst. And what I pray as we think about these things, that Lord, we wouldn't think of this as just some academic pursuit of all these things for another group in the church but for all of us whether we're an elder or not but what we've seen here is your plan really for all of us but everything we've seen here that are required of elders is really your plan for every child of god god you want us all to be faithful to our families and all faithful in our parenting if we have kids you want us all to have self-control you all want us to be faithful stewards to be pursuing hard after you and so lord would you help us all grow in these areas and we wouldn't just think about this oh that's great that's for the elders God, that we would see areas of these that you want us each to grow in individually. Whether it's how we shepherd our families, or whether or we need self-control of our thoughts, or our words, or our actions, or what we consume, or whether it's hospitality and being more intentional in pursuing community with one another, whether it's our finances, or whether it's some other area, Lord, I pray we wouldn't just be like, oh, that's great, that's for the elders. But God, we would look at these things and go, Lord, where do you want me to grow today as well? Because, Lord, none of us have arrived yet, we're all still in this pattern of sanctification and we're thankful that you're not done with us yet so Lord, would you show each of us as well areas you want us to go? And even as we think about this list and pray for this list for who you're calling the elders of gateway i pray that you would be sanctifying us in the process and growing us to conform us more to the image of christ and we'll give you the praise for all that you have done and are doing and will do and we ask it all in jesus name amen would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning
3: God, how you spoke the animals, the stars, the skies into existence, God. But when you created man, you formed him, God. Formed him from the mud, and then breathed into him life and made him a living soul, God. And it is your breath, God, that is in our lungs, God. It's your grace that allows us to even wake up another day, God, to serve. your very breath, God, in our lungs that even allows us to be able to praise you. God. So God, we thank you, Lord, for that breath God, that we are able to turn around and praise you with. God. We thank you for the grace in which you wake us up Lord, to be able to praise you each and every day. God. May we glorify you, God, in the lives that we live that it's not just a Sunday, belief. God, that it's not just a Sunday salvation, God. We are saved to serve you each and every day, God. You save us to serve you, God, to bring glory to your name, Father. So as we go out these walls, may you put people in our path, God. May our eyes be open, Father, to those that need you, God. Those that we are able to serve, God, in your name. Those that we are able to help, God, in your name. God. God, put those on our hearts. and break yours, God.